Hey guys, it's the Practical Idealist. This is Destry. And Katie. And we are going to continue watching Rent, the 2005 film version by Chris Columbus. And we're going to start with... Happy New Year. The not sung... Exactly the same lyrics, but not actually sung. Happy New Year. <laughs> Act 2. Act 2. Here we go. We might as well just accept the fact now that I'm going to be crying throughout this entire act. <laughs> so, Destry's going to have fun editing. Even more so than usual. Not just because I'm sick, but... Yeah, being in this show, especially when I was younger, because I did this probably when I was about 19, 20 years old, it was, uh, it was difficult every night. To like, get through act two? Mm-hmm. Like, even just rehearsals and everything was just really difficult. It's... The, the show pulls no punches. Mm -hmm. If ever there was a uh, Feel the Feels show, it was <laughs> this one. Because it really does invite you to mourn with all of these characters. And in, in not a douche, douchey way either. So they're supposed to have been time passing between La Vie Bohème and now. Yeah, days. So just like a couple of days, maybe a week or so. Which is not true in the... Is that true in the, the yeah, stage musical? there's a couple of days mm -hmm. that have passed. Because like I was saying before in the last part, it's kind of like intermingling time for the first well, act. Because like I believe the protest happened on Christmas Day. In yeah, I'm pretty. The the protest happened on Christmas Day. The whiz and the play. So this is New Year's Day. So a week has passed between mm -hmm. the protest and this. Ew. <laughs> she stopped being able to wear that outfit in 1995. Well, after she had her kid, probably. <laughs> right. <laughs> I also like uh, Tracy Tom's uh, fro. Yeah. And the 70s. Yeah, the, the uh, fur coat. The fur coat, yeah. And just taking occasional sips from the champagne bottle. Yeah. This is how they establish the uh, the crappy news journalism angle. Yeah, the as BuzzFeed. <laughs> uh -huh, as opposed to um, in uh, voicemails. Oh, hey, look, it's the Mimi pants. Mm -hmm. She had to wear them at some point. Congratulations, Roger. <laughs> Hold the tight. I saw this on television once. <laughs> Those are some great boots. Yeah. We're thinking about, what, six inches or so? Oh, at least. <laughs> and she's supposed to be a, like, kitty galore or something. Pussy galore, yeah. Pussy galore, there you go. Bond. Yeah, the Bond villain mistress. I actually had to Google that the first time I heard it because I, I don't know anything about James Bond. Right. I don't, no, I've never seen a James Bond movie. They clear all their shit? Yep. Yep. I don't know how that's legal to do. Well, if you leave all of your stuff and you haven't paid rent, then that's like you're giving up your possessions. Huh. I think legally they're supposed to give you like a week's notice, which he did. Basically did, yeah. So. Mm -hmm. They can all live in this apartment now. There's plenty of space. Yeah. <laughs> like you're the only one with the prospect of getting a real job, Mark. Have fun with this. Right. Oh, isn't this like Alicia Silverstone too? Maybe. I appreciate that uh, they're taking him. Yes, they're escorting him. Like, they're him. his backup. Well, no, because I think the idea is that uh, 
Joanne is going to be his legal representation for this and make sure he gets, yeah, that yeah. he gets a good deal. I have to come even though I don't need to be here. Yeah, see, like, you don't need to be here, baby. We don't want to come on too strong. We don't want to come on too strong. <laughs> Mark's in the background like, hee <laughs> hee. Saying out of this, <laughs> a scene you do not see in the musical, of course, and a completely unnecessary, really. They just wanted to get her in there. The what's her name? It's the comedian. Okay, now I guess that means I get to look it up. Is it, oh, S- Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman, not Alicia go. Silverstone. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I had to look at her face silver. for a second. Yeah, yeah, Sarah Silverman. <clears throat> yeah. Who now does uh, voices on Bob's Burgers too? Oh, and uh, also she's in uh, the Ralph, Wreck-It Ralph series. Oh, she is? Yep. She's Vanellope. Oh, is that the little girl? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't see why this was a necessary scene. Oh, well, they had to establish the buzz line Well, you could somehow. have done that still with a phone call, though. Like, you didn't need to see this entire moment. I think that they decided that there wasn't enough talking so they needed to add more talking. This is just when it really starts to lag for me. Yeah. Because yeah. this is when they start adding all of the unnecessary shit. Good. And you make Mark seem like more pathetic than he is. Mm-hmm. Like he's being dragged along. Whereas in the other one, he was actually... He made a decision yeah. for a mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. And he felt like shit about it, but he still made a decision for a reason. I love that scarf. <laughs> Pookie. Again, Mark's just like, I'm going to stay out of this. <laughs> Me and my shifty eyes. And I also dislike that this movie takes Mark's, like, Mark chooses to be in the background and to observe things. Yeah. That kind of, ta- this movie takes that choice away from him. He just happens to be around when things are going on. Because, mm-hmm. like, I love in the, the musical the moments where he's like, this is what's going on, and me, I'm nowhere. Yep. Which is literally what he says at the beginning of the song. Yep, just keeping it together. Ew. 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 <laughs> Poor Mark. <laughs> Poor Tracy Tom, oh, she had to God. kiss her. Look at his little face. This can't, this can't be happening. <laughs> Greenwich Hills Country Club. An engagement, An engagement reception. reception. Joanne Jefferson. Hosted by. <laughs> Hors d'oeuvres. Hors d'oeuvres. Hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> and we get to see the only parents we're going to see. Right. You also don't see that Angel is starting to go downhill. Because they start establishing right away that Angel yeah. is starting to do badly in, in Act 2. Yeah, you yeah. start seeing it, that it, everything's starting to go down. Mm-hmm. But you don't, like, it comes on kind of abruptly in this one. Yeah. But then you also get to see the um, the montage of hospital scenes. Yeah. Which is one thing I do really like. And that's steering without you, right? Yes. It's so, oh, it hurts me. Because <laughs> during the show, the stage show, you have... Three tables. Yeah, and the, one of them is Collins and Angel. One of them is Mimi and Roger. and Roger. And then what's the other one? Maureen and Joanne are on the third, kind of separate. Mm-hmm. And then Mark is kind of going in between them. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think that I was part of that scene. You the weren't there version. at all? I think I normally Mark is, like, downstage in a corner during I seem, it. I seem to remember being in the audience during that part. Okay. During rehearsals, like, seeing the stage picture. So I don't think I was in that scene. I'll give the movie credit for this, is that in the stage show, you have established that they're basically just a mixed match couple and that there's the jealousy thing. Yeah. And it starts with the Tango Marine scene. So when they start take me or leave me, it's coming from a place of a well, history with those characters. And they're not engaged in the stage musical right. too. But as opposed to this, where you see her actually flirting with these other yeah, women. Yeah, you see it happen repeatedly. And there's more of an impetus for it to begin this Because it's happening particular at their song. engagement party. Exactly. And you think this is an appropriate time, time to talk yeah. about that, sweetie? <laughs> be women in rubber flirting with me. <laughs> my oh, favorite. maybe what? <laughs> that is my favorite line for the show. <laughs> so, one of my favorite shots of this movie is going back a second when every, the, everyone's response to her saying that. Because Mark is just like, oh god, not again. And then Mimi is sitting on Roger's lap and she goes, oh shit. And, and Roger is just very slowly starting to smile like, oh yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite part. I've been waiting for this to happen all day. <laughs> like, And of course they must have taken bets for like, when's she going to screw this up? <laughs> It also takes the anger out of the song, though. Yeah. Makes it more playful. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said before, in the stage show, you get more of a history of their <laughs> dysfunction. Like, look, look, look. <laughs> but yeah, you, you definitely do. As opposed to this, you're just kind of like, oh, well, this is an isolated incident that's happening at a very inopportune time. Mm -hmm. No, so, she does wear this outfit well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it's just more inconvenient in this. So it's, it's both a plus and a minus. It comes from a better place, but it ends in a worse place. Mm -hmm. And I don't like how sprawling. Yeah, the, the tracking shots are a bit much. Obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, everybody's running right. after him. <laughs> Dogs like, skip, 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 skip. Look how nice Roger cleans up. See, my thing is, is that all of their family are there and they're watching their lesbian daughters not only have a spat in front of everybody, which has got to be <clears> humiliating, <throat> but also they're being all sexy and talking about really gross, intimate things yeah. in public. I really don't know how I feel about everyone else watching this happen. Right, exactly. Like, it's cute and it's funny. But, oh, I just feel like it's unnecessary. Yeah, definitely. It is funny, though. But they had to beat it out, like we said, is yeah. that in the stage show, all of this is kind of Happy generally happening at, at the same time. So they had to decide what was the actual sequence of events. I do like this happening on a staircase, though. And she gets the ability to show why she received this <clears throat> role. Yeah. Because she's fabulous. Mm -hmm. Another person I don't know why doesn't sing more. Again, they're just standing there. Like, there's <laughs> there's no reason for them to be here. Hey, it takes place 
near and around a table, so let's make it a pool table. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> There's a metaphor in there somewhere. <laughs> they do have a great harmony here at the end. One of the better ones I've heard yeah, by the definitely. song. They work really well together. Oh, yeah. Like, she, Tracy Toms definitely brings out the best of Adina. And their voices are pretty complimentary. Definitely. Because Tracy has that, like, forward vibrato with her voice, but she also has that lower resonancy, as opposed to Idina, where she's just yeah, she's, in the raptures all, all of the time. I like his 70s blue shirt. Yeah, well, it fits with a... his hair, like I said. Yeah, his <laughs> necklace. <laughs> the necklace and the, and the, um, the button undone. Yeah. <laughs> it's sexy. Oh, and yeah. all their shit's back. <laughs> Hi, and Benny. so is Benny. Does this happen in the stage show? Mm, yes, but it happens in the place of a song. Oh, okay. And she convinced me to rethink the situation. But I regret the unlucky circumstances. Because remember, that's his Happy New Year B. That's, yep, that you're right. So they, they spread this out because this all happens first and then, then you go. Mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, they had to like resequence things so it didn't feel like there was like songs in front of songs in front of songs. Yeah. Especially with La Viva Wim, I should tell you, and La Viva Wim B, it just felt like 30 minutes of yeah. just a song. There's a wall of song. Back in this time when they were trying to adapt these musicals into movies, they're like, well, we have to give a healthy dose of the play yeah. as well or else people are going to get like okay well it's just a bunch of people singing so i'm gonna leave because i don't care about this right but you also lose timeline here too because yep. so how long how much time has passed between the engagement and the engagement party i mean he's still wearing the blue shirt so i'm guessing it's right after no i mean how long have they been oh, oh, not I, in I their apartment yeah you know what i mean because they're mm -hmm. like oh hey look our shit's back so either They've just been sleeping in the apartment, which is the most likely situation. Well, they, they did break back in. So. Yeah. So here's Without You, then. Which, this is the song I can't, I can barely listen to. <laughs> well, one of the songs. This one and Goodbye, Love, I can't do. What I think is funny is that they had that much shit. Yeah. Like, well, that's an awful lot of stuff for people who have no jobs and are broke. They accumulate stuff. More like dumpster dive. So, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the impetus for her turning back to drugs? I think that she's an addict. Okay. She's an addict. Like, they make it seem like it's kind of Roger's fault for being cross with her. In the movie, maybe? Not really in the play, though. In the play, it's just like she's an addict and she that's, that's what addicts do. Because what I think that people forget about it, or maybe you forget about this, is that she says that during Happy New Year, she's like, yeah, I'm giving up my vices. So she just says it. Mm -hmm. So without a lot of support, though, and maybe going into treatment, they're, for addicts, I mean, it's kind of hard just to stop cold turkey. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's kind of the point. It's like, it's not something that you can just give up with. I remember that was something Chris Columbus was saying in this, too, is that they couldn't show her shooting up. Well, no. Like, no, they no. aren't allowed. But he had a big problem with it because an addict would not be able to stop. Right. If they were, if she was in the process of doing it, she wouldn't have been able to stop. Now this I love, where you go around the circle and people oh, are and the leaving. people disappear. Oh, yeah. that that hurts me deeply, but it's beautiful. Now this is again using your visual motifs. Yeah, and you're seeing her going through withdrawals mm -hmm. and him. I love seeing Roger helping her in this too. Yeah. 
Because in the stage show, it's more implied that he yeah. knows that she's using instead of him actually watching it happen. Yeah, and helping her not do it. Oh, just hurts. Yeah, it really does. And then you start seeing him looking a little bit paler. Yeah, yeah. Angel starts doing worse and worse. And you also see without the makeup and the wigs and yeah. all the, the accoutrements. Because it takes so much more effort, and here's Angel going to pieces. Yep. And that's a allusion to what they do in the show. Yeah, as he's starting to... Colin, like, carries him from one table to another, because mm. everyone switches tables during the song. And there's... Roger carrying her and talking her through it. I think it kind of humanizes their relationship a little bit better. Them, yeah. Because in I, I know that they have a big musical sequence and they're doing the visual stuff on stage. But, but you don't you, see them go through something like that exactly. together. Yeah. And you also get the feeling like he is like I don't want to say standing back and watching it happen, but you get the feeling like he's like disapproving. Yeah. So why would he be there and, and help her I so love much. Too. I love seeing them in the hospital room with Angel. Mm -hmm. And everyone just kind of fussing over him. And I like also like that you get to see the establish of Angel and Mimi's relationship. Because mm -hmm. that's something that was always implied in the musical, but not necessarily like said. Right. Just by the fact that they're always paired together in group numbers. And I think that this was something that was a really big deal to Rosaria Dawson was showing their relationship. That was a big deal to her personally. And also kind of implying that watching Angel go through that is what makes her not even want to keep trying to stay clean. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then Benny comes in. This is such a dick move on behalf of him. Mm -hmm. It's such a dick move. Like, yeah, you might... Well, for, first of all, the, the fact that he said anything about it, their previous relationship, to Roger at all. Right. This is what makes him, you know, the bad guy, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Is that he's just a douche. Not even so much for what he stands for, but just that he is obviously just so only for himself. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care about anyone else. I love the slow fade on that shot because it, it kind of represents what's actually happening. Yeah. It's like the, the world darkening around mm -hmm. it. Now this was uh. <laughs> like trying to listen to people say this and to say yeah. the words. It just, it really hurts. It's like, this is when I'm going to start crying. <laughs> Seriously though. There was a couple times when I was rehearsing specifically this moment that I would go really slow because I was like on the verge of losing it. Yeah. And it was funny because the music director, which was basically who directed the show, I'll be honest with you, yeah. would always be like, okay, we need to speed this a little bit up. Like, it can be a little bit slow and somber, but it can't be that it needs slow. To move. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, but I'm having a hard time saying any of this. <laughs> I'm actually emotional. Right. Like, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not just taking it slow because I'm having an acting moment. Like, yeah. I'm actually. I don't want to just real. mumble half of the thing because I'm about to cry. Like, let's not do that. And this is the point of Seasons of Love. Mm -hmm. And allow the crying to begin, which I will not stop until the end. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the biggest Jesse L. Martin fan in general. I don't even... 
think that he's necessarily the definitive Collins. I mean, what else has he done? I'm just um, curious. I don't he think done. he's done any other musicals. He's done, like, a lot of TV shows. He was on Law & Order for a long time, I know. Um, and then right now, he, well, up until recently, he was on The Flash, the CW. Um, but then I think he, like, he's having back issues or something. So he had yeah. to take, it was something like, he's having some kind of body issue where he had to say, like, I need to take a step back because I need to take care of myself. Um, so they, like, put his character on pause. Hmm. So he did, like, a lot of TV. And I appreciate... First time you ever see Roger cry, too. Yeah, exactly. Because he knows that's what's happening to him. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that even though they established that Mimi is with Benny at mm -hmm. this particular moment, that Roger's not really concerned about that. Yeah. That, like, there's no, like, weird glances or whatever. That's not what this is about. Exactly. And I appreciate that they kept it a straightforward scene instead of being like, we're going to continue building relationships in the middle of this sad song. No. Which I think a lot of other musicals Would try to do. Would be tempted to, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that this is to Angel too. Yeah. Because in the musical, it's it's out to everyone else. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, normally the way I see it done is he's holding the picture. Yeah, Well, exactly. So, the, like, this is his story. Mm -hmm. This is his eulogy that he's giving. I get chills during this part. Yeah. This is using your chorus as a... Uh... Ooh. And I like hearing the individual voices. Yeah, exactly. Which you get on stage, too, mm -hmm. because of who's Mike and who's, right. who's not. It's a little bit more raw in this version, too, yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. As he actually cries. <laughs> I don't think he usually goes that high in recordings, too. This is always the one that I listen to whenever I'm working through it. Yeah. I never listen to the, the OVC on, on this particular song. And now you get the glance. Well, her. On place. her part, yeah. Because mm -hmm. he's like, I don't, this is not about you. Yep. Exactly. Roger's having his own moment. Right. <laughs> he's like, I don't need you. That's, I don't need additional angst. I have my own angst. And I love that he sings after everybody else yeah. goes away. Yeah, he holds. It's a beautiful church that oh, they yeah. got to. They, they picked a really good place for that. And now this is Ugh. a song that they don't do. They recorded it. Yeah. And it's on the it's it's on it's the on DVD. The CD, yeah. But I will never forgive, forgive them, them no. for not doing the full goodbye love. No. This is the definitive song of the show for me anyway. Not seasons of love, not lovey bohem. This song contains the entirety of the show in it. And if you screw up any single part of this song, the the entire show has been ruined. Mm -hmm. And it's really the only time that you see Mark and Roger be honest with each other, too. Exactly. And that's why I love it. Well, they're not trying to help each other. Yeah, it's it. just them being honest. They're yeah. just like, can we just stop screwing around with this? And what I think is stupid is that they start it yeah. and they don't finish it. Like, what was the point of that? Like, they had no problem turning all of this type of stuff into dialogue before. This is probably the better version of a dialogue scene, because not a lot of this rhymes. Ah, oh, chills for this too. Also, Mark isn't the only one doing this in the play. Isn't the only one stopping them. Yeah, exactly. He finally gets to have his rock moment. Yeah, exactly. 
This is the only time when Roger is allowed to be mad. <laughs> but seriously, guys. And the one thing I will say assholes. is that I, I love that they were able to bring some visual beauty to this moment. Yeah. Because on stage it's still very it's so mechanical dark. and it's mm -hmm. very... But I also think that it works that way. Because yeah. Collins, I don't think he says it in this. But Collins has that moment where he's like, they expect me to pay for the funeral yeah, service I think and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it's like that moment hurts more mm -hmm. because it's so industrialized. Yeah. And it's like, they're not getting anything. Yeah. Like all There's they got was the chance to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, he's not going to be in a beautiful place. It's not going to be something like this. It's yeah, going to be. And everyone just walks off. At this point, Mark just totally, he's like, I don't, is there a point in following him? for following any of them. Yeah, and that's, like, you see that on his face. Because it, it's all of the breaking up and the coming back together. When and... you take away the second part of Goodbye Love, where does this moment come from? Yeah, and also... You do not earn this song. You don't earn Roger leaving. You don't earn the rest of the show. Because you, like, where the fuck is all of this coming from? Exactly. You don't see any of it. This, they couldn't have screwed up more if they had tried. Like, seriously, you just, like, okay, apparently he's gone. He's in a car now. What... And time is somewhat passed because it's still cold in New York. But for for a show that spent so much time giving exposition in the form of oh yes I'm in a five minute meeting with Buzzfeed. Uh, Buzzline. But for a movie that spent that much time, why did you skip over an entire emotional and story section? Especially when you filmed it. Especially when it was filmed and when it was actually needed for the story. I mean, to be fair, Devil's Advocate, even though I completely agree with you, we are almost two hours into the movie. So they should have made cuts where you didn't need stupid things. Exactly. But, like I said, they had that, that problem with we need to have more dialogue to balance out the music. But, again, if you're coming to see this, you are coming to see the show. You're not coming to see... Also, it's implied... And, okay, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I thought it was implied that when he sold his guitar, he was giving up music. Yeah. So why does he have a guitar and is busking in this one? So what they're saying here is that he bought a car, he went to Santa Fe, bought another guitar, <laughs> busked, and then... Maybe sold that one to come home? I guess. Again, no senses in this at all. This is a fantastic song, though. <laughs> mm -hmm. With all of that anger, I, I hate everything about this sequence, though. They've, they've It's done so badly. Because I love the way it's done on stage, where they're on different sides of the table, and mm -hmm. it's always like you're so close to meeting, and you just are not quite other, getting yeah. it. Like, you're, you're on the same side, you know? And it's so much more powerful, too, when you finally get to their moment of connection and they suddenly come back to the same side and they're both, you know, you see them finally making that connection that they're missing. And how fun is this, him making edits mm -hmm. to film on old film equipment? It's probably one of his favorite parts. Probably. I got to work with old crazy shit. Well, he's such a nerd, too, for all of that stuff. I do like this. I love their hug at the end of this. Yeah. It's so cute. Now, this is probably the first sequence I ever saw from this movie. Really? Okay. So cute. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I, I was struck by oh, not God. the visual because I I agree with you is that it was poorly planned, but the music is so strong that it, it yeah you, you kind of disregard it, what's actually it happening. It beats you to death with how beautiful it is. And again, this beautiful moment of them looking at each other, no one cares. Mm -hmm. Because they weren't fighting. As, according to this kind of the movie, yeah. there was no fight. So basically, the reason why they're having this reunion moment is because Roger ditched him. Roger ditched and came back within this, the space of one song. Right. <sighs> okay. That was going to be my big anger. Yep. It's such a beautiful song, though. Just my entire world is in goodbye love. And it it really, it hurts me deeply mm -hmm. that they removed that beautiful, beautiful song. And you also don't see the Mimi descent as much. Yeah, because yeah, they have that moment where they say goodbye and you see that she's like falling to bits. Mm -hmm. And I guess they kind of showed that during Without You. So that was their, their compromise. But she's falling to bits because of addiction in without you. With mm -hmm. this, you start seeing it's, it's the AIDS getting to her. Mm -hmm. He's so desperate that he's asking her dealer. Yeah. Which I do appreciate that. That, that was if, a if good any, thought. If, if she's in the city, then she would have gone to him. Um, yep, exactly. December 24th, 1990, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard. And they had to add the year. I can't believe a year went by so fast. Again, song. song. I like this. Yeah. Please, for the love of God. There's no one to save you, you now. <laughs> and the shoes come off once more. Love. Now, they are really good friends in real life, too. I believe Jesse it. and Anthony. Like you said, they were roommates. He, Jesse helped him out a lot when his mom died. Oh, okay. He was there for him, like, when he found out that his mom died, like, and he had to go on stage that night. Oh, okay. <laughs> debauchery <laughs> is the legacy of angel <laughs> and i think this is right around the same time that adam did um school of rock as well <laughs> oh, no. he had that little cameo in school of rock at the beginning adina doesn't get to have her nice long note yeah at the beginning of this mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> also like that joanne carried her that whole way Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I know that this is very cruel of me, but Mimi's death is not sad to me. And resurrection. <laughs> and resurrection <laughs> is not as meaningful as it probably should be to me. It's just reestablishing the hope. Yeah. But well, and that was something that Jonathan said was because everyone's like, "Well, why didn't you have Mimi die?" Because Mimi's her her character in Lava Wem dies, of course, exactly, from yeah. consumption. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big question. It's like, well, why didn't Mimi die? And Jonathan said that it was because he wanted the show to end on hope. He wanted to show, he's like, we, we have reality. We don't need reality now. Mm -hmm. We need to end with hope. And I mean, it, it is kind of unnecessarily cruel to kind of pit the audience against her a little bit because, mm -hmm. I mean, I know a lot of people have an issue with people who are addicted to substances. So to have her die as kind of vindication of like, see, that's what happens. And I think that he didn't want to end on that, that vindication yeah. of, of course she died because she's an idiot who did drugs. You know what I mean? Right. Well, do we think that she got clean after this, though? Now that I'm unsure Because of. in the musical, you find out that she goes into treatment. 
because mm-hmm. Benny pays for her to go into treatment. That's another thing you should have done originally. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> but that that's but you have to be willing to do it though, and that's why he was saying like there's a or Mark tells her like there's a clinic, there's a rehab, mm-hmm. and Benny's like yeah, I'll pay for you to go there. So uh, another thing that we miss out on. Yeah. But so in the musical, you can believe at least that she was getting clean, and AIDS is why she's dying. With this, you don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Now, this song, I kind of like because it's supposed to be kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Because it's Roger writing just on, you know, on his drive home, on his bus ride home. He just writes this song. So it's not supposed to be fantastic. It's just supposed to be meaningful. Now, here's a major difference between the movie and the stage show. And you can play it either way. It doesn't really matter. But <clears throat> just based on what I've seen and what I did in my production is that in the stage show she's mainly unconscious throughout this song so he is he has his guitar and he's singing the song to her as she's unconscious and then she wakes up and has like the yeah (gasps) i saw angel and blah 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 as in with this she's awake and they're like holding each other yeah and And that does a moment though like it definitely works but it's kind of odd. Well, yeah, because in the in the stage, like she's like fading away, and he's like, "Wait, there's something uh, you should yeah. hear. Mm-hmm. It isn't much, but it took all year." And then he sits down and plays it. And so you feel like the song was part of the reason why, like, what called her back, mm-hmm. as opposed to this, where it's just kind of like they're having, like, this is his they goodbye to her. Yeah. So it's both ways work, and both ways are are touching uh-huh. in their own sentimental kind of capacity, but I prefer the stage show where he calls yeah. her back to life. Absolutely. Some chills that, there. It strengthens the connection that they have. Or at least that oh, yeah. they're supposed to have. And then the world's most awkward note. Yeah. Like, no, his song killed her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He cleans it up in this version, though. Uh-huh. As opposed to in the OBC, we're just like... Uh-huh. <laughs> I like that Mark can't look at him. Mm-hmm. Mark can't look. And Collins is kind of stoically watching from the side. Collins is keeping an eye on things. Mm-hmm. But Mark can't watch him in that much pain. And a nice moment of silence. Which you sometimes don't get in the stage show. It depends on the director. You should get a moment of silence. Yeah. There should be a solid, like, 30 seconds of absolute silence. Make the audience really uncomfortable. And also make them think that she's definitely gone. Oh, yeah. Like, this is the end. Like, there's no more songs. It ends on her dying, and that's how the show ends. I think that in... I'm trying to remember, but I'm pretty sure that in the version I saw with the two A's, the way it was framed was that Adam is at the head of the table, like, leaning over her head. Mm-hmm. He doesn't pull her up into his arms. He it, it turned into more of, like, a kind of sob moment where he's, like, Mimi, you know, reaching for her. Yeah. And then there's a moment of silence, and during the moment of silence, Mark takes a single step forward and puts a hand on his shoulder. And it's, like, the angles were such that you could just see his arm out. Mm-hmm. And then Collins was like shoulder to shoulder with Mark. So they had this like chain reaction going on. I think we had something similar in the version that I was in. So you just had a moment and then there's like a beat and then he goes and he puts his hand on him and he's like, okay, like 
no one no one is alone in this moment. Right. Which is important to me. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that Collins is, is very happy that the outcome was different. Oh, yeah. Like, he was fully ready to see another person that he had become close to completely die. There's no... And that's why I like Collins a lot. And that's why I think a lot of his character development is kind of understated in the show. Is that... In a lot of people, that would be bitterness. Uh, you're just gonna have to cover this because this is why I lose it. <laughs> oh, I was doing so good. <laughs> oh, if you don't cry during this moment, you're a heartless bastard. <laughs> if you don't cry at least once in the show. <sighs> Seriously, when I saw it live though, my mom was making fun of me. My mom came to see it with me. <laughs> and I was crying from the moment that it started through because when um, when I saw it, there were all these inserts and the uh, the playbill saying that Adam Pascal was not going to be there and that his understudy was coming. I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to see one of my people. And then as soon as he walked on stage, I went, oh my God, oh my God. And I started like hyperventilating and <laughs> to the point where the people around us were going, what? What? What's going on? And I what was am like, I missing? All I was doing, I was just like pointing at the stage. My mom's like, what's going on? I'm like, it's, it's, it's him. <laughs> like literally, that was the response I had. I love all the different parts in this too. Oh yeah. It's so beautiful. It brings all of the, the messages together in a way that's not invasive to the, the music. And again, no one's alone. Yep. I like that it was very purposeful that no one was alone, too, because Collins goes over there. Mm -hmm. And ending with Angel. And that <sighs> is Rent My Friends. I'm just gonna go cry for another 20 minutes. <laughs> I mean, honestly, for me, you know, people are always like, why do you always watch something if you know it's going to make you cry? <laughs> and for me, this musical is so cathartic. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, it is extremely emotional and extremely sad for me, but you cry because that's, it feels good to cry. Right? Yeah. Not because it's like, it's upsetting, mm -hmm. but because that's the response that it deserves in the best possible way. And that's why I think it's so hard, especially to be in it, is because you still have to play the character and the emotions that that character is portraying, but you also are so connected <clears throat> to the emotions that the audience is also feeling. I think that's kind of the point though, is that the show's emotions are so universal that you can be feeling and expressing those emotions as the character, but also as an audience member participating in the show. Right. Which is kind of the point of Seasons of Love, is that, you know, we're still people experiencing the same things that you're experiencing while we're doing this. And I don't think that a lot of musicals have that kind of duology to them. I agree. 
I, I can't think of one like off the top of my head where you're not completely focused on the character in the story. I would say that Next to Normal has a bit of that air. That's, that's fair. But I also want a Pulitzer, so. Yeah, a lot of pared-down musicals have that ability to kind of... It strips the the phantasm from it. The artifice? Is that yeah, the artifice called? is correct. So, as far as the music is concerned, what is your personal, like, favorite song from the musical? Goodbye Love is definitely my favorite song. After that, gotta be what you own. I mean, that entire, just from the the top of Goodbye Love through the end of What You Own. <laughs> just give me all of it. What about you? Um, well, I mean, What You Own was definitely one of the ones that you coached me the most on. Like you, you I did? <laughs> you, well, you made the importance of it very known from the very beginning. I probably did that. <laughs> that sounds like something I would do. Like... That was the one that I remember you being very particular about. Like, you have to do it in a very particular way or else it's not going to read the way that it's supposed to. Yeah. And, um, I don't think that I really have a favorite if I'm being honest with you. Like, I mean, under extreme duress, I could probably come up with one. But I, this is definitely one of those, those musicals where I think that it works both in and out of context. Not all of the songs. Not all the songs, but I think all the a lot of the main ones do. Like, Take Me or Leave Me, you can sing that without having any knowledge of what the show is. Yeah. And still gain something from the song. Well, what's your favorite song to sing? Uh, favorite song to sing... And it could be any character, not just the character you played. Well, I mean, my favorite song to sing in general would probably be the reprise of I'll Cover You. I think that... Talking about that that duality, that duology, as I said before, <laughs> but the du duality of it is that that's one of those kind of moments where you yourself are allowed to kind of bridge the gap. Just feel it. Yeah, like whatever it conjures for you is how it it comes across. Like there's no particular way that you have to be thinking of it. There's no mm -hmm. mindset that you have to be in to sing that song. Besides the fact that you just lost something or somebody that right. was important to you. But I think a lot of the other songs, you put them in context and it gives them more meaning. But like I was saying before, is that you can sing Tango Marine, you can sing Take Me or Leave Me or, or One Song Glory, and they're still really good independent songs. But if you know where they fit in the story and the character journey of the musical, it gives them extra added meaning. Mm -hmm. But with I'll Cover You Reprise, I think that that's so universal that everybody has lost something or someone that's important to them. Well, and that's why Rent works on so many different levels for so many different people, because whether you connect with the LGBTQA angle, or the starving artist, mm -hmm. or the searching for your place in a world that doesn't accept you or if it's just because you've gone through a really hard time of losing someone like there is a part of the show that you can connect with no matter what right and that's why I loved when when I went to see the show my mom I know was really 
she had hesitant. She was she was very hesitant about letting me see the show at all. A lot of reservations. And then yeah, and then also her coming to see it, she wasn't sure if she was going to be able to sit all the way through it. She wasn't sure. Please tell them the rule that she gave you about the kissing. She said that I had to warn her when there was any LGBT. Same sex. Same kissing. sex kissing. Mm-hmm. That I had to give her a warning, which I was able to do because I knew the show so well. Right. So, you know, that's just the way she is. <laughs> but again, to her credit, still the way she felt about that, she chose to let me go see it anyway because she knew how much it meant to me. But when we went to see the show, when we left, first of all, my mother was in tears at the end. <laughs> Good. And when we were talking about it in the car on the way home, she was absolutely shocked, not only by how much she actually liked it, like she enjoyed the time, but how emotional she got watching it. She mm-hmm. felt like it, it, I think the words that she used was that it was humanizing. Yeah. Definitely. To a lot of the the gay characters, which maybe she might not have felt the grandest warmth toward. Right. But watching it, she felt, what she told me is that she felt a lot of compassion. And it reminded her of, like, when her parents were dying and stuff, too. So she had, she connected a lot, especially with the second act. And what we were talking about before about how there's no really main characters. <clears throat> the closest you come to is basically Mark and Roger. Mostly Mark, but yeah. Roger, too. That dynamic is is very central to the show. Absolutely. But the thing that I think a lot of people have an issue with when they see any kind of media is that they're always looking for that character that they can align themselves with. Yeah. And sometimes I think people forget that you're allowed to have a rocky relationship with every single character in the show. Yeah. Like, you don't have to sit there and be like, no matter what this guy says, no matter what this guy does, I'm with him. You can feel a certain way about their words and their actions and still identify with that character. And like you said about the humanizing aspect of it, it makes it so that you both love and hate them equally. Mm-hmm. Or at least you're, you're given the license to. Because I think a lot of people when they're writing any kind of media they always want to try to identify a character that's the safest, most broad, generalized being right. to be the purveyor of the basic emotions of the story that will help you along to understand what the characters are going through and stuff like that. And I don't think a lot of people recognize that it's also very important to have characters that are people. Yeah. When with- they have their ups and downs and their... There are positives and negatives, and it's not just that guy's the hero, that guy's the villain, black and white, end of story. Very flawed characters. And I can see why people sometimes don't like that, because in certain media and in certain stories, you do want to align yourself with somebody. Well, sometimes you need to. You need to be on somebody's side. It's necessary. But in an ensemble show, that's not really necessary, because there's always someone else on stage. And I think that... Some of my favorite media kind of goes about that. And it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Like, I think a lot of people want to see the best of themselves. Oh, yeah. In other people and in characters that they're close with. And they don't want to see the negative, darker side of people. But, like, one of my favorite, and I think one of yours is The Great Gatsby. And I think that that also bridges that gap as well. Mm -hmm. Where every character is both a good and bad person. 
which is what is true about everyone. Yeah, no one is either a hero or a villain. Exactly. And it also depends on how you look at it. Who's telling the story. And there's a lot of, well, that too. But there's also a lot of quotes I've seen going around, especially recently. I don't know what sparked it. But, like, sometimes you're the villain in somebody else's story, even if you don't feel like you've done anything to be the villain in their story. Mm -hmm. Like, it's always, I always get this wrong, subjective, objective, something like that. So I appreciate that about this show, that it's, it's humanizing. I think that that's a really, really good word for it, is that these are real, actual people. And I think that a lot of the polarity about whether you like or dislike the musical comes from that, is that Mm -hmm. if you're going to be so quick to dismiss these characters because there's an aspect of them that you don't agree with or you don't like, then you're not seeing the show or the characters for what they're supposed to be. You're not seeing the whole, you're just seeing the one aspect. Mm -hmm. And it, it just turns people off when they can't find that black and white hero villain dynamic i think that that's a a good way of putting it that people are are looking for something very specific and when they're not seeing that specific that specificity (laughs) then it it turns them off a bit but i just i love the show so deeply the movie eh, it tries it utterly fails in the second act the first Mm -hmm. act isn't too bad but pretty much everything about the second act was just trashed. I mean, leaving out the most important song in the show didn't help it. I disliked that he left out Halloween, so you missed Mark's entire perspective. Yeah. Like, that's the one time you hear from Mark. The one time you see anything coming from him. There's no longer a narrator. Yeah, there's no longer a narrator. You don't, you don't get to hear his fears. You don't get to see why he's so insecure. And you just... You miss so much of the heart of the show by the cuts that they made in the second act. Why did he focus so much on the first act? It was unnecessary. It wasn't even character building. I just think that that's the fun part. Like, yeah. I think that that's where all the good songs come from. Like, If you ask somebody, okay, name me a song from Rent. It's going to be Rent. It's going to be Seasons of Love. It's going to be Tango Marine. It's going to be One Song Glory. It's going to be La Vie Bohème. It's not going to be Halloween. It's not going to be Goodbye Love. It's it's not going to be any of those. Technically, Seasons of Love is in the second act, but... (laughs) Yeah, but that's the breakout song from it. Right. So I think that they're just like, well, we got to grip them with what we can grip them with. Because, like I was saying before, I feel like... the strippers in there (laughs) and the lesbians kissing, and we got to get it all out of the way, and then we might throw some actual content in. Because I honestly feel like they were very afraid of alienating too many people. I mean, it's Chris Columbus. He is responsible for Home Alone. (laughs) And the first Harry Potter movie. First two. First two Harry Potter movies. So, from a studio perspective, I think that they succeeded. You know what I mean? Eh. (laughs) But if you were an executive and you saw the returns that this movie has, has garnered, you would be like, that was a respectable profit, you know? So I think that it works in that context. But by making it so generalized, when it's really very specific, it hurts it in the long run. Mm-hmm. Because like we were saying before, there's a lot of themes and conversation involved in this about the LGBTQ community 
and AIDS and a lot of unsavory, quote-unquote, unsavory conversation involved in this. And not everybody is going to pay. Maybe now it's different. It might be. I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe you have an, a thought on that. But back in 2005, it was pretty obvious that not everyone was going to go pay to see a movie about a hooker who is addicted to drugs and a guy who has AIDS who's also a cross-dresser. Like, it's just, that's a very specific market. And instead of marketing to the people who it mattered to, they tried to get as much profit from it as possible. Yeah, I'm, I guess that's true. But to be fair to what we have here, at least the creative team did have a passion and a care oh, for the material. It wasn't just handed off to fucking some random dude who had never even seen the musical before, and I'm going to film this because a lot of people, a lot of directors have done that before, I'll be honest with you. I need to make me a big musical so I can get my name out there. And then they just fuck it up. Mm-hmm. So at least I can say that there was some care. Yeah, it's not the worst adaptation I've ever seen. But Certainly not by far. The central story and the central characters were not preserved as well as they should have been or could have been. Or deserved to be. Right. Which is really why I don't trust the live rent. <laughs> the NBC or Fox. What, it, what is it? Fox. Is it Fox? Is it the Fox Live Rent? That essentially in a nutshell is why I refuse to watch it, why I don't want to hear anything from it, and why I don't trust any of the people involved in it. If you think that that could be done on a, a live TV platform is absolute bullshit. And the fact that you would go ahead with it knowing that is enough to tell me that you do not deserve to handle that material. And of course they're going to hide behind the whole, well, if we put it on TV, then people who have never heard or seen it are going to hear and see it and then become enamored with it like the diehard fans of it. And there's some merit to that, but I also believe that when you adapt something, no matter how much of an adaptation, because I wouldn't even really consider that an adaptation besides the fact that you're adapting it from one medium to another. Mm -hmm. So by the, like the loosest definition of an adaptation, they're adapting it. But you're once again marketing to the people that don't know and don't care. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to force them through cuts and through alterations to be inclined to give it a shot as opposed to putting the love and care that the people who deserve to see it in a different medium who wouldn't be able to buy the theater ticket or whatever are going to want to see. Yep. And I think that there's a way of kind of crossing both barriers without hurting either side. There's a gray area somewhere in there. But I think that people are so concerned with that black and white mentality. We either need to market to everybody or it's going to be a niche thing. And it can be both, but you have to think about it in a broader context. It can't just be... Just shows like this aren't meant to be done on this platform. There are lots of shows oh, that plenty are, of shows. <laughs> are meant to do well on that. Like, I think Sound of Music was a great choice, despite how bad the people they got were. Exactly. I thought that Hairspray was a great choice. I mm -hmm. thought The Grease was a great choice. There is a catalog 
of shows, even slightly more edgy ones. Like, to a certain extent, I think JCS was a great choice, too. Again, if they had picked people who didn't suck. But... To be fair, there was more of a concert version yeah. of it. So at least the the production value supported. Yeah, the production value did. I don't think that John Legend was a, <laughs> not even... Forget correct. He wasn't a good choice. No. Like, that like, was definitely studio pressure at yeah. its finest. But so, like, that that's another show that works in this platform. I just don't understand why they're going out of their way to do a show like Rent that, again, right off the bat, you know that you can't do. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it. So you're going to have to alter it. And you're going to offend people if you do it straight. Yeah. So, like, there's no possible way that you can do it without screwing it up or without pissing people off so why bother going through the hassle of getting all of that together when you could easily go out and like you could even do the last five years live by just taking a couple of the swear words yeah like that would have been a really easy one to do there are lots of shows that if they wanted to go slightly edgier that they could have done without making such a mess that's ultimately, for me, you know, even taking away the fact that I, I can't stand that they're going to screw it up. <laughs> Just why bother when there are other less important shows you can screw up? <laughs> <laughs> because we want the built-in fan base, and we also want to make it the new big thing that everyone's going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. And again, there's a way of doing that without compromising too, too much of what makes the show the show. How cool would it be for them to do West Side Story live? Oh, I, I, that's what like I was thinking, yeah. To do a dance-heavy show live? Like, that's what dancers are there for. They are fantastic at doing things live. And it's also something that you could do with a fixed camera. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that you need to go crazy. Like, you have the space and you let them go to town. So, I, like, I don't know why they aren't doing it's more dance-heavy shows, and I don't understand why they aren't doing more Sodheim. Into the Woods would be another great one to do live. That would be hilarious live. Oh, yeah. And they could get a lot of great people in there who don't need super heavy singing chops. Yeah. I mean, just looking at the people they got for the movie, movie. can tell you <laughs> enough of that. And the movie still worked. So, like, there there are a lot of Sondheim shows that would do well. They could even do Sweeney Todd live. Yeah, and that's also pretty edgy. And it's, Without yeah, swear words. Exactly. So, I just, there, there are so many other options for doing what they are attempting to do, but actually doing it well. Because mm-hmm. there is no possible way, and I feel very comfortable saying this, there is no way in hell that this is not going to be terrible. It's not even going to be a little bit not terrible. It's going to be terrible, period. And I feel bad for the people because they did get some good people involved with it. Like Jordan Fisher, fantastic singer. They got some really talented people involved in this. And I feel bad for them because their names are going to be attached to this now. And especially once once it gets out there. I mean, you look at even the Grease Live. Like, everyone loves Aaron Tveit. Mm-hmm. And he got, got a lot of hate. He got shredded. I felt, like, really bad for him afterward, even though, like, I think that oh, he deserved a lot of it. But he really got just, he got torn to shreds over that. And he didn't deserve it to that extent, even. Right. So I just, I think that this was all, a, this is all a very big mistake. Oh my god, I just thought of another one. Guys and Dolls Live. Oh, How adorable! Cute. Oh my god. They could get like a real soprano. Mm-hmm. And they could get pretty much anyone. Oh, Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> oh my god, he would totally do it too. Yeah, definitely. Oh, he would so do it. See, this would be the stuff that I would actually watch. Right, and, and the and thing is adorable. that it's supposed to be fun. Like, 
that's my opinion on this. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. When someone announces this type of thing, it's supposed to be like, oh my gosh, who are they going to get for, like, you're supposed to jump on the hype train because it's fun and it would be to fun imagine. To, yeah, grab the kids and sit down and watch a musical, like. Now that it's on TV, they have this whole new repertoire of actors and singers that they can bring in. So who's going to be who and how, how well are they going to do and what are they going to do with the character? Like, that should be the questions that we're asking. It shouldn't be. Okay, how are they going to fuck this up now? I'd say of all of them so far, the most successful has been the Hairspray one, though. Oh, I, they got some... I was surprised the people that they actually pulled in to do that. Mm-hmm. And they all did really good. And it was really cute and fun. And even though you saw some of the mistakes that they made with... Which like, is the part of, stuff, of the That's charm. part of the fun. Yeah, you got I mean, you to see that on stage all the time, too. Yeah. Somebody's costume change doesn't go right. Someone right. loses their mic in the middle of a dance number. Like, it's... Again... Bring the fun aspect right, of it. Right, yeah. And if you want to go a little bit edgy, that's fine too, because that's also fun because, oh, that was naughty. He wasn't supposed to say that yeah. or do that. Or, it's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be this stressful, grown worthy, <laughs> oh my God, what the fuck is wrong with them? What now? <laughs> and I think that that's honestly killing it for a lot of people who are just vaguely interested. But when I go online and I read... 17 reviews about rent live makes me not want to watch it because there's so many people like lambasting it so why would you want to sit and watch that when you know that the people who cared enough to write a review to say something about it are just shitting on it yep the point i thought was trying to engender a love for this medium into people who like i said don't have the money for the tickets to go see it on Broadway or have never even thought about this as a viable You're reclaiming the idea of the musical as something that everyone can enjoy, not just something that theater people do. Right. And you're not doing that when the theater people are sitting there saying, it's not worth your time. Yeah, it's not worth our time. And then it's also encouraging when people do applaud the bad singing, like, okay, this is what I have now started calling the Adina Menzel effect. Oh, gosh. So you have a musical like Frozen, and you have the biggest song in the world, mm. Let It Go. You listen to Adina singing the song, and it's not the worst song. It's really not. It's a catchy song. It's something that everyone's singing. And this is something, I mean, people, like, voice teachers and stuff on YouTube have gone off on tirades about this, saying, like, so everyone's listening to this song. They're listening to the way she's, she's singing it. They're seeing all of the awards and stuff she's getting, and they're thinking that this is the correct way to sing. Mm -hmm. So when everyone's saying, oh, this song is fantastic, I want to sing just like her, what they're not realizing is that not only is her technique bad, like fundamentally her technique is bad and she is hurting herself singing it, but it's encouraging. As evidenced by the erosion of her voice over the last 10 years. Exactly, but you're starting to see trends now in younger musicians and in younger musical theater who are untrained who are completely untrained and have no reason to believe that they need formal training at all exactly and they just start singing this way and suddenly everything is starting to sound bad because everyone's trying to emulate the sound that wasn't supposed to sound that way to begin with Mm -hmm. and then no one's getting trained everyone is screwing their voices up early it turns into this horrible cycle of everyone thinking that something bad is good Because, again, nothing is either good or bad that thinking makes it so. (laughs) So whatever the populace is saying is popular at the time, whether or not it is 
quality or not, that's what people are going to be emulating. And that's what scares me, mm-hmm. is that if all of these bad things are coming out there, if enough people go, I don't know, it sounded okay to me, mm-hmm. not really knowing what they're talking about, then people are going to start trying to sound like that. And I don't want that. We have enough of that on Broadway as it is, we, especially in the men. Like, right. we have a lot of really <laughs> rough male singers right now. Thank God for the Jeremy Jordans of this world, mm-hmm. who are really, like, they're trained and actually singing with great technique, and those are the people you consistent. want to emulate. Yeah, consistent. Very consistent. And I think that it's a wonderful sentiment. I love the, the idea of reclaiming a medium for everybody. Absolutely. Like, that's what's going on with, like, the Hamilton effect. Where yeah. People of different nationalities and colors and genders and are coming to the realization, well, the people in charge of making the musicals are coming to the realization that it doesn't have to be so black and white, that you can have people of color doing roles that no one ever thought that person of color If you build it, they will come. (laughs) Right. And I, I love that sentiment. It's a wonderful sentiment. But when it's paired with the idea that anything is better than nothing. Yeah that's when I start having an issue with it. And it goes to what you were saying, is that just because it's a positive change that we're seeing, that more people are getting involved that were never, you know, felt like they could be involved before, doesn't exactly equal quality. Mm -hmm. So while I may love that, and while I may love the idea of reaching out to people through TV live versions of all of these shows, it also gives me pause to believe that the right people are choosing the right people for the right reasons to be in the shows and to do the shows. So another thing that you brought up here a minute ago that I wanted to talk about real quick was Into the Woods. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of a thought that I had. In Into the Woods, the Disney movie, one of my biggest issues was, and I said this when we first saw it in theaters, in the musical, there's a lot of telling, not showing. But mm-hmm. that's because there's a budget restriction <laughs> to how much you can put a giant on stage. You know what I mean? And you can't have an entire enchanted forest. forest. Right. You know. You can't and... have an actual moving cow. And... <laughs> In a movie, there's more visually possible. And what I think a lot of times that musical movie adaptations get wrong is that they continue the trend of telling not showing like in the case of into the woods the disney movie they continued not to show the things that you didn't see on stage and i'm just like you are disney you can create a magically enchanted forest that's real you can create a giant they kind of do i thought yeah. it was lame the way that they that they presented it but you can do those things and just like in here is that you you can use your visual medium to tell a visual story without compromising what's already there but also with altering things that would be much easier seen than, than talked about mm-hmm. and i still think even in this that they talk way too much about things that they should be showing. And then they show too much things that they should talk about. Exactly. (laughs) So the translation from 
this medium was not as successful as it could have been. And Into the Woods was what, like three, four years ago? Something like that. It's still a problem. Yeah, they haven't figured it out yet. Exactly, and that's the other problem I have with the TV live versions, is that even though it is technically the stage show being filmed live as they go, and they've adapted filming techniques so it's not just three cameras, one wide shot, two close-ups, and that's what it is, because that was what it was back in the 80s whenever they filmed something live on Broadway. But we're still not utilizing the medium that we're adapting it to. There's still ways that we can be better about that. And from 2005 to what, 2015, 2016, when Into the Woods came out, they're still having that problem. So what does that tell you? That's why I think that this Wicked that they're creating <laughs> is going to be so interesting. Over the last 10 years? There is a big opportunity to do exactly what you're saying, to visually tell a big part of the story that you are not necessarily going to get to see on stage. There's an opportunity to see sets and times, like the idea of getting to see as long as your mind actually like in a forest. Yeah. How sexy will that song be? <laughs> so there's a lot that can be done with that show from a movie perspective, but whether or not they do it, that's going to be really key in who they get to direct. I'm not saying that every single adaptation should automatically be perfect as long as you have the perfect person behind the camera. Oh, no. What I am saying, though, is that the people that they're getting to adapt these properties are still not grasping what the properties are trying to do and say. It usually seems, particularly with theater, that they are people who have maybe never seen the show in the theater. Because <laughs> when it comes to like book adaptations, you know, everyone's read, so there's a little bit less censure when it comes down to that because you're just you're trying to turn a non-visual into a visual mm -hmm. but when it comes to theater and film they're both visual mediums so understanding where to use what technique i think is where the issues are coming right everybody has a movie in their head while they're reading this book that we have to somehow figure out how to translate onto a visual medium and make everybody happy with there is no doing that. <laughs> but as opposed to a already visual thing going into a different but similar visual thing, there should be more thoughtfulness. Yeah, because people already have a very clear vision of what it's supposed to look like. Which does make it harder, and which I think is why we don't see any good translations. <laughs> because, I mean, even Phantom of the Opera, you know, there's a lot that can be said about that adaptation the movie of Joel the Schumacher. Opera. Whew, I mean there there is a lot we should probably do a commentary and fan at some point but I think that it, it was more successful in a lot of ways than Rent just because they took the existing story and they told the story straight mm -hmm. like they didn't try to add and move things around they're just like here's the story we're going to tell it, but we're going to put it in an actual theater. And that was basically all they did. That's why, I, you know, barring Gerard Butler's singing ability, I think that in a lot of ways, The Phantom of the Opera was more successful a movie than this one was. Oh yeah, definitely. I can agree to that. It's a question of not only the people behind the creative aspect and whether or not you can trust their personal vision for the show but also and 
I, I think I've spoken about this ad nauseum and other things that we've, that we've talked about. It all kind of boils down to the impetus of why it's being done. If it's being done because someone has a burning desire to translate one medium to another and a story and characters, then I'm more okay with that than, well, we need something kind of edgy and this seems to be popular with the nerds, so let's just put some people that we have some kind of faith in behind it and just do the best that we can. Mm -hmm. And I also think that people who try to use adaptations to alter the source material are basically trash, in my opinion. Like, there's one thing of being like, I have a particular viewpoint on how this story and how these characters interact in my movie of it. And there's a difference in, I see it this way, even if there's no actual context, and I just want to do it this way. Well, <laughs> so overall... I'm glad that it exists. Yeah. I'm glad that they were able to bring back the people who not only had a history with the show, but also that cared so deeply about mm -hmm. it. And even when there were cuts and alterations made and, and things didn't go the way that they should have gone and choices were made that were poor, at least you can tell that the core of the idea was not, let's just throw this together and see what we can do with they it. They tried to be thoughtful about the decisions that were made. And whether this is a rumor or not, I'm still unsure of. But what I do remember from researching this way back in the day was that they initially wanted it to be like a star-studded affair. Yeah. Like they wanted... The, the studio did. Yeah. They wanted Justin Timberlake. They wanted mm -hmm. like all of these like... Big name Pop people. star people. It turned from a music industry project into a theatrical product. Yeah. And I'm fairly certain that Chris Columbus was the one who thought to get the people who knew Jonathan involved. Because the material meant something to him, and he wanted to do something that was honoring mm -hmm. his legacy. And I do think that they achieved that for the most part. Yeah, I think that... Barring the, a couple of bad decisions and cuts. But I think ultimately the heart is still there. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, he just chose to focus on one aspect instead of four. Mm -hmm. and, I am glad that the entire album is out. Yeah. It gave you a chance to hear most of the original cast in a much better light. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I mean, if you were hard-pressed and someone said, I've never even heard of Rent, what's that? And you did not have the filmed live on Broadway version, I would definitely toss this at them. This is a great gateway drug to it. I'll yeah. say that. This is a great way of giving them a taste of the music. If you can watch the extended version with the full goodbye love, do that. Mm -hmm. Do it, do it, do it. Then whip out the Rent Live mm -hmm. and really give them something to think about. Mm -hmm. Get you some contact. Mm -hmm. Get you some uh, tune-ups. Get you some voicemails. Right. The meat and potatoes of the uh, the show there. See Will Chase get very, very angry. angry. <laughs> very angry. So so much anger in that, that poor man. His face very, very red on stage constantly. He's like, high fidelity failed and I'm mad now. <laughs> this is who I am. <laughs> this is who I am, really. <laughs> they ruined the show, only show I, I've ever cared about in the last 20 years. 
So no matter what happens when Rent Live happens, because no we're matter gonna, what happens, <laughs> we're gonna be releasing this after the travesty. <laughs> but whatever happens, it's a worthwhile show. I hope that it will bring people back to the core source material. They will realize how bad Rent Live was. Mm-hmm. And they will come to love and respect the show as much as I do. And I hope that whoever watched The Rent Live, even though it was terrible, that you got something out of it. (laughs) Because it's really hard to completely take the meaning out of the show. Yeah. Even though it's not going to be the same show and even though it's not going to be the full show, it's still the story. You have to really, really stamp... The love and the heart. Like You have to beat it up pretty badly. Like... Almost to death. And I don't think that they have it in them. It is the most important show to me. I will continue watching this movie every year on Christmas, and I will not get tired of it, and I will cry, and I will be happy to cry, and I will I will let that music lay. And then when we eventually go and start our own company, I will make my production, and it will be glorious. <laughs> and it will not be ruined. It will not ruin anything. It will be beautiful. Because if it even starts to ruin something, I won't do it. Mm -hmm. I will not contribute to the decline of this musical. Resilient is probably the best word. Resilient, it it is. It ran for a very, very long time. There's still productions of it done locally. Touring. Regionally, nationally. And one bad production, whether it's local, nationally, whatever, Rent Live on Fox is not going to kill it. And I think that that's a concept that a lot of people, especially with adaptations, remakes, anything like that, need to keep in mind. The thing that it's based on still exists, whether it's a book, a musical, a play, or some other form of media that you can always go back to, that you can always tell people is better this is and why to it's go to see whatever that is. And in this, you know, in 2019, in in this age and time, we have the ability to do that. To have actual recorded versions. You've seen multiple productions that were European, like different languages, that are available online. When the source materials are there and true and good, then it doesn't matter who's singing them. It doesn't matter what language it's in. I mean, I've listened to Rent in German, (laughs) and it's still the same show. Yep. Even though it's different language and you, you know that the translation probably went wonky in, the some, in some places, it's still the same show. And at the end of the day, there's still the original to go back to. Like the original does not cease to exist mm-hmm. just because someone decided to portray that material poorly. And I mean, if nothing else, what we will get out of Rent Live is that all of those little boys who watched High School Musical back in the day... We'll get to see Vanessa Hudgens kiss a girl. Yep. It's coming. It's happening, boys. Get ready for it. It's happening. (laughs) It's going to be what it's going to be. And I'm sure the backlash will be swift and angry. And I will not be participating in it. Hear no evil, see no evil. Mm -hmm. I do wish them the best of luck, though, at, you know, trying to prevail through all the hate that's already (laughs) happened, that is going to happen. But yeah, so overall. Good time. Yeah. Thanks for listening to me cry. Because <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I was crying during yeah. <laughs> this. There was some significant salvage happening. I can vouch for that. <laughs>
So if you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter at idealist underscore the. We are also on Instagram, the practical idealist. I'm actually starting to post on it more often. Ooh, fancy, fancy. And we're not exactly sure what's going to be coming next. We, we have, have some things in the works. Yeah. And hopefully it will be uh, relatively soon, sooner than what happened with this whole cycle where we released our last 2018 podcast on Christmas Day and then nothing for basically a month. Because I've been sick for two months. Yeah, seriously though. <laughs> but what we're intending is that we are going to start going through the Disney animated Decades. catalog. The first one that we'll most likely be putting out there will cover Snow White, Pinocchio, Bambi, Dumbo, because during the 40s, Disney kind of went the other direction and started making package films of, of shorts and, and musical type arrangements. And this one will be fun because Destry is such a Disney nerd <laughs> and I haven't seen most of these movies, if at all. I don't even know if I've ever seen Dumbo, honestly. Really? I don't think I've ever seen it. Well, you can go see the Tim Burton Dumbo Yay! in theaters this year. Um, but yeah, like Pinocchio, I haven't seen in years, so it'll be uh, it'll be fun rewatching some of this stuff and seeing if any of it holds up. Yep. And then what the idea is is that we'll probably, if I can find a freaking video editor that works on my computer, we will most likely be putting our little commentaries for. The each individual movie up on YouTube, but uh, no promises. But then we have some other things where we'll get started, and hopefully at some point during the summer we'll we'll actually do some recording over when we go to see your point this year, mm -hmm. and do some some chatting about that. Maybe do a a podcast over that, and we're gonna probably start on some musical projects upload those to YouTube, but uh, thanks for listening, and uh, sorry again for the, the long hiatus. It, it, it was not intended to be as long as it ended up being, but... It's my fault. <laughs> it kind of ended up serendipitously with the, the whole sandwiching Rent Live and the stranglehold that we're about to have on it, so things work out the way they're supposed to work out, I guess. Made it a little more emotional for me, too. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next one. Bye!